unfortunately, allyship doesn't always show up. What I'm more concerned about is where do trans people show up in leadership? When I look at my org chart, I don't see them. Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join hosts Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power in proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com. Welcome back to the Let's Get Proximate podcast. So excited to be with you here today, y'all. My name is Callie McKee. I'm one of your co-hosts. I use she, her pronouns. Today, while I've got my usual brown hair with some gray streaks throughout, today I'm wearing a blue blazer with some reflective stripes on them. We're getting a little fancy today. I'm a middle-aged white woman, and I'm sitting here talking to you from Ann Arbor, Michigan today. Y'all, we're so excited to have you back for another episode of the Let's Get Proximate podcast. Hopefully, you all have been listening, you've been subscribing, you've been going back and listening and getting some more insights and recommending to your friends. So we'll say, keep doing it. And just remember, the process of getting proximate is something anybody can do anytime, anywhere. So we hope you listen to the podcast. We hope you enjoy the conversation we're going to have with our fantastic guest, who I'm going to introduce here in just a moment. And we hope you continue the process of the practice of getting proximate to identities, perspectives, experiences that are just different from your own in order for us to just try to understand each other better, try to understand our stories and try to take actions to help each other be allies and advocates. Normally in the podcast, this is the time where I would turn it over to Alex. I'm solo today. Alex is backstage today. But we would talk about what's going on in proximity this week. And I would say one of the reasons I'm so excited about our guest today, too, is that our guest is involved with Pride, one of our inclusive communities. And inclusive communities are just one of the best ways we have here at Cisco or anywhere that you're working, that you're listening from, also called EROs or ERGs, employee engagements or employee resource organizations, to get proximate to folks from different identities, either to connect with folks that share an identity with you and discover the ways that you're different within that identity, all those intersectional identities that we talk about, or for you to understand the lived experience of your coworkers either at Cisco or wherever you are working or being in your community with. And I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that it is Cisco Impact this week, which is our big event, our big sales event in Las Vegas this week. And I know that there's a lot of folks there who are seeing folks maybe for the first time this fiscal year, maybe for the first time ever, they're meeting folks that they are working with. I was there last year and I remember it was just a great experience to be able to finally see face-to-face and in this virtual world, friends, as we build relationships and we learn, we start to understand each other, we know that getting proximate is such an important piece of that because we don't have those casual encounters all the time, right? We don't have that bumping into someone over the coffee machine or switching out conference rooms and having those little interactions with folks or seeing those pictures on somebody's desk. And so getting proximate requires intentionality. 
It requires us to really pay attention and make it part of our routine. So with all of that said, I'm so excited for our conversation today with Tracy Juarez. And Tracy and I are going to get Clocksmith together for the first time we just met. Tracy is currently a Customer Experience Academy Manager. She's leading our next generation of technical consulting engineers in the tax space. She is also the America's regional lead for the Cisco Pride Inclusive Communities. Tracy is originally from Long Island, New York, and is a mom of two boys and four cats. Tracy, we're going to talk about that because that is a house full. I love it. She is a very out and proud trans woman focused on more diverse leadership when it comes to the LGBT community. And to her own admission, she spends way too much time in flight simulators. Tracy, I'm going to need to hear about that too, because that's fascinating. So let me just say, welcome, Tracy. And if you could introduce yourself with your pronouns and a bit of an audio description as well. Thank you, Kelly. I'm getting closer to middle age than I like to admit. Nobody does believe that. I am 44. I have long brownish hair with some reddish highlights in it. I'm wearing glasses. I have gray eyes. Wearing a white shirt with blue polka dots. It's blue, right? Blue. Pink blazer and a very wonderful Bang & Olsen Cisco 980 headset. All right. All right. And that headset, it sounds beautiful. It sounds beautiful. So it's a little bonus for that. And we're rocking the blazer game today on the podcast. So we're getting proximate to our blazers. I love it. Tracy, we talked about, we had an initial meeting, talked about why I wanted to have you on this podcast. And first of all, just congratulations on your new role leading up our Pride America's organization. And also wanted to get to know you a little bit. And also wanted our audiences, especially in light of the legislation, some of the rhetoric that's about to really have the opportunity to not only get to know folks at Cisco, but also understand the lived experience of some of our transgender colleagues, our transgender friends, and what that's been like and how we can be better allies. But we really want to get to know you in all of your things. I want to hear about flight simulation. And get to know you and get to know a little bit about how you came to be at Cisco and what inclusion looks and sounds like for you, my friend. So are you ready to get proximate? I'm always ready to get proximate. Hey, that's the best answer ever. All right. I love it. I love it. So Tracy, let's start at the beginning. Okay. We'll just back all the way up. I love our audience to just hear a little bit about your story, how you grew up, some of the ways in which you became the person you are today or your early influences. So take us back to the start of Tracy and a little bit about your story. Absolutely. We'll go back to Genesis here. So I was born in a healthy young boy to both my parents, my mother, Anne, my father, Victor. And a lot of people who don't know me very personally, they don't realize that, that I am not only Irish, but I'm also Hispanic, which causes a lot of people to think, where did I get the last name from? Did I marry into it? It's like, no, this is my last name that I've gotten from my father. And growing up as it was being raised in the Catholic church, as most people are in the Northeast, LGBT issues that were never talked about, everything was a sin and try to grow up the best we can. I was a very difficult child, always getting into fights in school. The principal had my father's phone number on speed dial. I think he got to a point where he didn't even need the speed dial. My dad just knew to show up like about one o'clock to come pick me up because I was going to be done with school for the day. Grew up, got past that, went to high school, went to SUNY Farmingdale first for some time, discovered that in-person school wasn't for me, so I decided to go online. At the time, I was working for J.P. Morgan Chase, and they moved me quite a bit from New York to Arizona, back to New York to Florida. And then they discovered that they were paying me too much, so they went ahead and let me go. 
And, you know, it happens to the best of us. And, you know, those events make us who we are. And I had met my first wife and we had two beautiful children. Unfortunately, life happens and that relationship didn't work. I met another woman. She was originally from North Carolina, where I'm actually at right now in somewhat stormy North Carolina, as we prepare for the hurricane. And yeah, she wants to come back home. I didn't have anything going on in Florida at the time, so I decided to come up to North Carolina. Once again, I found myself coming up to an end of a relationship, which happens. I definitely want to fail fast and keep trying. So fast forward to relationship number three. I met my now ex-wife. <laughs> See the pattern. She was actually working for Cisco in the classified network space. At the time, I was running a hosting company, very small, before Amazon really kicked off, before Google had their cloud services. So there was room for smaller players in the market that there is no longer that space. So she thought I would work out well in the collaboration space. So she hit up some of her old contacts that were working in Cisco managed services and got me an interview. It basically started as a goof. I said, I want to be a better engineer than you are, even though you've had a lot more experience than me. So I took up the challenge. I started at Cisco Managed Services. I was there for about three years. I went about as far as I could in that organization, and I found a role in Cisco Tech. And when I met the hiring manager, he really reminded me of the guy that we've all seen on YouTube for BitConnect. He had high energy. He was really enthusiastic about the mission of the team. I said to myself, this is the team I want to be on. And that team was solution support. Most of our teams support one product as part of a solution. In solution support, we cover the entire portfolio. So your call managers, your gateways, your telepresence devices, to WebEx, we supported all of that. And I quickly rose up to be a team lead there. Yeah. So I'm going to pause us there because I want to deep dive into your experiences at Cisco. But before we get too far, I want to go back a little bit. I think you said a couple of really interesting things. And I want to talk about this notion of getting in trouble, because I think this is such an interesting notion. And you talked about when you got into high school, not feeling like that kind of environment was the best fit for you in choosing an online. When you think about those early experiences of quote unquote, getting in trouble, butting up against the system in, in some ways. What did you think in that moment? Did it seem like something that your parents were understanding? What Did you see it as kind of a rebellion? Or what was that, that getting in trouble for you? And how did that relate to who you were as a person? Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And when we sit back and I can reflect on those times now, I still don't have answers. Why was I like that? But being an adult now, I have a better way to channel that rebellion asking the hard-hitting questions as opposed to using more physical ways of expressing our displeasure, expressing how certain systems make us feel. And of course, growing up a boy, I may have been also coming into some sort of turmoil with my own gender identity at the same time, or at least asking my mom, you know, what was going on back then. I think that's what she's come up with is potentially just my unhappiness of who I was being in my own skin. You know, now since I've transitioned, I'm so much more of a happier person, but I still do have the rebellious streak. And some of that comes into the topics that I bring up within Pride. Right. I think that's so interesting to think about. We get asked a lot about, Tracy, I know that you're passionate about education in the space and we get asked a lot about terminology and all these things and why it's so important to learn. And I think one of the things that we've learned is the ability to be able to name our experiences, to be able to give to grasp what that is, 
that's really something that is new. And it's something that allows us to have to be able to settle into that still challenges. But as kids, not knowing what that was, right? Not having a name for it, not having a understanding of what that feeling of not fitting is. Would you say that's fair that it was part of that work? And I think it's really interesting too, as you talk about your race piece as well, as you said, folks didn't believe me that I was Hispanic or I had this background as well. Did you talk to your family about identity pieces? Was that a conversation you all had? What did you do with that kind of identity wonderings as you grew up through school? Yeah. In the environment that I grew up in, nobody talked about it. It was the taboo topic. You don't talk about things like gender identity. You don't talk about feelings in general. You just accept life for what it is day by day. And of course, as you grow up and you have different environments, you become a little bit more comfortable with talking about that. And, you know, through a lot of mental health, I've been able to go through and express those feelings in very healthy ways. Yeah. So not talking about it, not having an outlet for those feelings, y'all. And, and when we talk about legislation and when we talk about education, what we're really talking about, too, is giving folks the ability to be able to speak out loud about their feelings and their experiences because they're still happening, right? We're not stopping anyone from having feelings and, and experiences and our identities. But when we don't talk about it, that's when we get that pent up stuff, right? That's when we get the one o'clock phone calls that say, come pick up somebody, right? Because what are we doing with that? Tracy, did you have a sense, you know, as you said, you didn't really talk about the gender identity piece. Did you have a sense of when you were young of that feeling around your gender identity of like, I don't feel like a boy? Obviously didn't, necessarily have language for that, but how did that show up with you, if you don't mind sharing? I absolutely love sharing. It's one of the things that brings me a, a great platform is being able to share stories. But yeah, going back then, looking at other boys, I didn't find myself having some of the same interests they had. And I can vividly recall being dragged to one of my sister's tap dance lessons. And I'm sitting in the back being a sarcastic person that I am, and I'm mimicking the moves. And of course, my mom didn't pay for me to have the lessons. She paid for my sister to have them. And I quite recall remembering having the teacher bring it to the front of the class and go, can you do that again? I was like, okay, I'll do it again. And she goes, can you show your sister how to do this? And I asked my mom, I was like, well, tap is cool, mom. And this is back when river dance with Michael Flatley was really big. So tap dancing was like the high thing. But I really wanted to do ballet. So I asked my mom, do we have any male ballet dancers? And she only named one person. And I was like, can I be number two? But I didn't have the language to express to her that I wanted to be in ballet class. And if even if I asked, would the teacher have been willing to have a, a male student back in the 1980s? <laughs> right. So I think we grew up, I think we're similar age, grew up with similar times right there. And there just wasn't that. I think it's so interesting that asking your mom, who are the male ballet dancers and can I be number two? Right. It's like Mikhail Baryshnikov and me. Right. So that's really interesting that you were brave enough in that space to see that this was a quote unquote girl thing and that was not a quote unquote boy thing at that time, right? Or that's how it was being presented and to ask to be in that space. How do you think that impacted as you came to understand your gender identity moving forward, that idea of these are boy activities, these are girl activities, these are, you know what I'm saying? That kind of very binary view, traditional view of gender we have. How did you continue to negotiate that as you became more aware 
or had more examples or more language around what was going on? I think I had a very interesting way of thinking about it because not only do I had those experiences, but I also went to Boy Scouts and because my mom couldn't trust me at home, I also went to my sister's Girl Scouts. So I was thinking to myself, why are these two things very gender-based when you're basically teaching the same things? How to be a good person, how to do things like camping, tying knots, they, they all do the same thing, which now we don't see that now. But again, going back into the lens of we were raised very traditionally where this is a boy event. The man comes home, he takes care of the household. Mom takes care of the children, does the cooking, the cleaning. We start to see those things blend together now where you have dual income families where that relationship needs to be more inclusive or dad is taking care of the kids now. Maybe mom's the, the primary breadwinner these days. So it's fantastic to see how far we've come, but yet there's still so much work that we need to still do. Yeah. Tracy, I think it's really interesting connection you're making. I think especially for listeners that maybe haven't been as proximate is you're talking about the connection between an individual's gender identity and then this societal idea of gender roles, right? And what I love about that connection is we know that the connection is there and we're not always making it. We're often focusing on the individual and this is the individual's journey and this, and we're not talking about these larger <laughs> implications about how we've separated folks by gender and how we've separated expectations by gender. I'm interested, you talked about being a mom and you talked about raising, you've got two boys and four cats. But as you think about raising your children, how do you talk about gender roles in that way? And has that evolved? Or do you feel like you have a unique perspective on that because of your identity as a trans woman? I really do. And it's interesting because I'll joke with my kids. I'm not a very serious person. I'll tell them, I'm your mommy and your daddy. Especially when it comes to, they're at the age where they're thinking about dating. So I'm like, oh, I can definitely give you both point of views from the man courting or from the woman being courted. And they start to think about maybe I have a couple of different views for them to understand to take over as opposed to having someone who's always been you know, cisgendered, always been a man or a woman or anywhere in between potentially. And if I can back up just a minute, one of the things that I found with my children, and I'm going to be very honest and, and open with, with everybody. I had raised my kids up until about two years old. And when their mother and I, we broke up, it was a very brutal breakup. She would not let me have visitation with them. And this was even prior to me transitioning. She would tell them really bad stories about me. And because my life was a bit of a mess after that, I didn't have the energy or the time to properly fight the fight that I needed to. Time's continuous no matter where we are or what we're prepared to do in a position to hire an attorney, or had already started the transition. And we were married in Florida, and the case originated in Florida. She had since moved to Virginia, a very rural part of Virginia. And I had already moved into North Carolina. So we had this case in Florida where none of us lived. She moved to have the case moved to Virginia, which makes perfect sense. That's where she's been living with the kids. So I show up. We had the case going on in Florida, and it got moved no major. And I show up because I was served under the wrong name. Me being the person that I am, I walk in and they say my dead name. I'm like, well, that person is no longer with us, but I'm here as a friend to the court. I already know that the judge is looking at me, giving me the side eye. 
And she goes, well, we have to use the stylus of the case as it was filed. And of course, because I don't learn my lesson very quickly, I said, okay, well then, Miss Juarez here. And she stopped me again. Well, people get remarried. I'm like, okay, well, you just said one thing and now you reversed it and went back to the other. And I was like, well, I've learned a hard lesson way too many times. I'm not going to push my luck any further. Thankfully, we got a new judge who was very sympathetic to the cause. He was not playing any games with her. Once he found out that they were taken out of school for two years, he automatically said, okay, we're going to go ahead and give me full custody. So at this time, I basically was having to retrain my brain because these were two kids that I haven't seen in years. And not only that, they were teenagers at that time. So I went from infants and toddlers to teenagers. None of that space in between I had any connection with. And of course, I was single at the time. So here I was, single mom, two teenagers, trying to figure it out. It probably would have been the best sitcom on TV to to watch me try to navigate this. (laughs) Well, Tracy, I want to continue with your story here and how that kind of worked out with you and your sons. Let me back up for our listeners a couple of things. And let me just pull out a couple of terms that not everybody might know and just give a little explanation. So one of the things Tracy talked about, fam, was cisgender, a cisgender person. And a cisgender person, what we, and Tracy, feel free to add in here as well, is when we talk about somebody being cisgender, I identify as a cisgender female, meaning that my biological sex and my gender identity are female, right? They match in that way. So that is cisgender. It is a way for us to talk about our gender non-binary, our transgender, our gender fluid, friends and colleagues in a way that doesn't say, well, you've got like regular and then you've got over here, right? It gives us two respectful terms to be able to talk about it. So cisgender is one. The other thing Tracy talked about is dead name. And and Tracy, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what the dead name is and why that's so important? And I'm so glad you called it out. At the risk, it seemed like of maybe getting under the skin of a judge in that moment, but why that's so important and why it was important for you to call that out in that space. Yeah, absolutely, Callie. I'm glad you brought that up. So a dead name is the name that you were given at birth, which may have matched your gender identity as what the doctor pronounced you as. Of course, nobody asked you what you were, how you felt. It was just going by whatever plumbing they saw at the time. The best way I could probably possibly put that. And because that identity was no longer with a part of me, well, I guess it's always a part of me. I never hide the fact that I was at one time Michael. And I'm comfortable enough with myself to present that name to the audience today. I'm no longer that person, but that person was a part of who I am. And they're a reason as to why I'm here now as Tracy. That's right. And fam, that's going to differ person to person, right? So Tracy's talking about that name as part of her. And in some of our trans community, we'll talk about it like Tracy's talking about it. Some folks may not feel comfortable discussing or talking about their dead name or previous identity before, and then that's okay too, right? And so I think it's such an important thing, especially, so you're in this courtroom, (laughs) you've just won back custody, now teenagers, you're figuring out how to think, and you're transitioning, if I heard, or you're presenting at that time under your gender identity. Talk about that process. What made you decide this is the time? And how did that conversation go with your family, or how did you navigate that? And now, getting teenagers and also going through this very significant, I would say, life change. Yes, it was a very strange time for me. My relationship with my second ex-wife was coming to an end because I decided that now I needed to go ahead and transition. 
And a lot of the things that people will say is, you're so brave for transitioning. You're being who you want to be. And to me, myself, I go, no, it's not brave. Being brave is the person who has to lie to themselves every day, saying that I am this person, even though I know that I'm not. And I just couldn't do that anymore. I needed to be, I needed to be Tracy. I needed to be me. And when she left, she told me that I'm going to give this gift to you to be who it is that you want to be. Unfortunately, I don't see myself as a lesbian. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll make the best of what you've given me to be my authentic self. So I started to transition, being a bit of a coward. I couldn't just ask my mom and, or tell my mom and dad is what I'm going to do. I wrote a letter to my sister. I said, Marianne, please read this letter. And <laughs> because the story couldn't have gotten any worse, this was my ex-wife decided to leave me during my grandfather's funeral. So I was away in New York. So on the plane ride home, I'm typing this letter to my sister. I'm just taking a minute. I'm just taking a minute to absorb and let it go and just say, all right, all right, all right, sister, we're with you. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, tell you. When, when life gets you down, it keeps kicking sometimes. And so I'm sitting there typing this letter out, thinking exactly what I want to say to my sister, because we haven't always been eye to eye, the best of friends, but I felt it easier to come to talk to her about it because she's two years young, younger than me. And I asked her if she was okay to go ahead and share this with mom and dad because I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't face my parents and let them know that I was going to do this. And I knew they were going to feel that down. At first, my dad was asking me things like, hey, have you talked to a priest? I'm like, no, I don't think this is going to help me you know, talk to the clergy. At this time, I've already let the family know that I was an atheist. And if Catholicism worked for them, great, more power to you. And it just wasn't for me. And it took my mom a little while to really become accepting. And funny enough, it was my grandma who accepted me before my mom. So paint a picture in your mind of this older Irish Catholic woman who accepted me as their granddaughter before my own mother. And she said, are they happy? Is that what they want to do? And that's when my mom realized that's what matters most. Am I happy being me? Go grandma, first of all. And when we talk, friends, when we talk about support, especially when we talk about LGBT use, but also adults, we talk about this, but when we talk about mental health and we talk about support systems for our youth, especially, and especially our transgender youth, the rate of suicide when there's one supportive adult, right, drops dramatically for young trans folks, right? When we have one supportive adult, we have one person who's using the pronouns that they've asked us to use and calls us the name that they've asked. Such a huge difference. And I think it's so interesting with grandma, Tracy, we should, when I had a different coming out, right? I had a coming out that was different. So coming out as a lesbian, a different coming out. But both my grandmas actually were the first folks to really accept. And that shocked me too, because I had a very conservative Christian grandmother on one side. I had another grandmother who just, I didn't think, had a lot of exposure <laughs> to LGBT culture in general and having those little surprises, but having that support. So I love what you said about your grandma saying, are they happy? Are they happy? And then using that and your mom getting into that, as you think, what enabled do you think, and I'm not asking you to go into the mind of your grandmother, but did you talk to her afterwards? What enabled her to just very clearly say that, like cut through all the stuff and very clearly see you and your happiness in that moment, do you think? 
I really wish I knew. I haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time with my grandma. We did go back to New York to visit her last year, and she just turned 90, so bless her heart. And it was just amazing to have her as an ally. Because growing up, grandma was always there for us, making, of course, as most grandparents are, they're there to spoil their grandchildren. So I think her just opening the door to my mom's mind of happiness comes first was very amazing for me to hear from her. And when she got to see me, she got to see me for the first time last year. It was so amazing to see her face light up, to see me as I am. And see that happiness, maybe that your grandmother was talking about hopefully before. Yeah. Yes, she she did get to see that. Oh, I'm so happy for that. I'm so glad you got to have that moment with her. As you talked about this, you talked about getting custody of your kids and fighting that fight in rural America as you were just beginning your process to becoming your authentic self. And we started to talk about how that's evolved, how you talk about these ideas of gender roles and talk about these ideas of expectations now. I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about the dating piece and saying like, well, I have it from this perspective and I have it from this perspective. I'm interested in what else have you learned or have you maybe reflected on about how gender plays out in our society or how we treat women and how we treat men? Having sat on, I don't want to say either side as a definitive binary, but sat on in both places and have sat along the gender spectrum as well. What have you noticed about that? And what do you think the rest of us, cisgender folks, allies, could really use to to think about a little more in that space? I think one of the things that everybody talks about is privilege. And when you're cis, heteronormal, white male, you have all the boxes checked. And when that's what you project out to the normal to everyday society, you have those boxes checked. Now as a non-cis, transgender, white Hispanic woman, I no longer have all those boxes checked. Unfortunately, one of the things with privilege is you don't know how good you have it until you give that card in. So some of the things about dealing with customers are places like the Middle East where women aren't seen as equals. How that comes off from customers when they ask to have a male engineer and having the ability to feel very secure in yourself with your technical knowledge And with your personal knowledge of you being the best person for them at this moment in time. And to overcome that, you have to justify you being in the room where a white man doesn't have to do that. It's just accept it as their definitive authority on whatever the topic is. That's so interesting when you talk about. So I want to clarify, too, when we were talking about particular regions, what we're talking about is culturally trends, right? When we talk about who's valued or or we talk about who's sitting in those positions of power, right? And societies in which women aren't sitting in that position of power, which certainly includes ours, but specifically are facing extreme discrimination, extreme oppression because of that idea of having to justify why you're in the room. I think that's such an interesting thing. And when we think about privilege, to your point, you don't know what you got till it's gone. That's something that I think when you're sitting in that doesn't make you a bad person, It just means that you're not having to defend why you're in the space. Whereas sitting as a female in that space, especially in the technical engineering space, having to feel that you have to defend yourself. How has that showed up for you either at Cisco or just working in this field? And how have you navigated that? It shows up being very customer forward. And luckily, because I am from New York, I have a big personality, as my girlfriend would say. I can let that lean forward. And I also know that I am a highly recognized 
technical person in the field, I have that to back me up and give me that confidence that I'm going to go ahead and resolve the issue for them. And as we think about this, we also have to think about allyship. That's a big thing for us in the community is the privilege of allyship using their position to elevate and escalate the things that we were talking about, to have other people listen to them. Yeah. So let's talk about that, Tracy. Let's talk about allyship. What does that look and sound like to you? So if I was talking about, you know, at Cisco or just in your lived experience every day as, as folks maybe are listening to this, wanting to get more proximate, wanting to understand, but what does allyship look and sound like for you? How does that show up? Or how would you like it to show up? How about that? <laughs> when we talk about allyship, when I was part of RTP Pride for Research Triangle Park area, our executive sponsor was Jamie Stewart, a very amazing woman, and she's an ally for the community. There's nothing that she can do more to help us out. She would use her position to have her leaders under her, have them come to our events, listen to us, the things that we need. And there was a communication issue with one of the folks in ELT. We're not going to go ahead and mention names, but I think they felt really bad about what they said. And as a group together, we had a letter we drafted up for her to let her know what she said and how it was intended to, to come across didn't exactly line up and why it hurt the community. They were nice enough to issue an apology. And hopefully from here on out, the communication is, is a little bit more thoughtful. That's really interesting. And so what you were talking about too is I think the way you talked about doing that is helpful. So you talked about somebody's intentions. So the intent, not lining up with the impact, right? So this is somebody who is clearly not trying to cause harm, but somebody that had inadvertently caused harm and pointing out that discrepancy. And then friends, when you have someone and you're fortunate to be proximate to folks who will help you <laughs> when that happens, because I'm here to tell you, friends, as a DEI professional, it happens to all of us. Sometimes our intent and our impact do not match. Sometimes we muck it up. When we're in the position that we have someone who will help us realign is to take that feedback as a gift. And what I'm hearing from you is it sounded like that person did take that feedback as a gift and then made changes and hopefully learned from that. One of the questions, we were just talking about allyship and we were talking about this idea of aligning words and actions. And I was wondering specifically for the trans community, in your experience at Cisco, how has either having an ally or not having an ally, how has that shown up for you and impacted how you're able to do your work, how you're able to show up at Cisco and be your brilliant self? What does that look like for you? That is a really interesting question. Unfortunately, allyship doesn't always show up. What I'm more concerned about is where do trans people show up in leadership? When I look at my org chart, I don't see them. And when I spoke to some of my chapter leads and folks in the community that I have a relationship with as being trans, they'll have conversations about being transgender, but they don't put it in the directory. There's a lot of fear of being treated differently. Nobody wants to be seen as the trans woman. They want to just be seen as the woman. And unfortunately, that makes a couple of different things you can think about. What are the potential glass ceilings that trans people run into? Do we not advertise it because of potential career barriers? And I made mention of this in a series that I'd done back in July for RTB Pride, the Drive and Amplify series, where I had a very open conversation with my director present about this potential toy glass ceiling and where our transgender leaders are. I would like to see more visibility there. And that's something that I'm aiming to change. But 
not everybody in the community is willing to be open with that. And I fully understand that. Nobody wants to be treated differently. They just want to be treated for who they are. That's right. And family, it's important to think about too, is when we're, I think you make such a good point, Tracy, is that the individual decision on how to be open with that also depends on the culture in which you're sitting, right? If you feel like that is a place where you will be safe, valued, heard, and given the same respect and credibility, that becomes easier. And if you're not in a place where that's happening, then for your own safety, it could be your community, it could be your family, it could be your workplace. That often does keep folks from feeling like they can fully express that. I think it's also interesting you talked about the glass ceiling, because when we talk about that from a research point of view, we're often talking about that on a binary, right? We're often talking about women representation or male representation, but we're not talking about our trans colleagues and where they fit in that, where those barriers are. So tell me why that representation is so important. And I'm hearing, Tracy, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm hearing a little bit of a personal mission here to really help amplify and get more trans folks in leadership. Why do you think that is so important to the work that we're doing as a whole and to your own experience? Just as you alluded to, the data data shows that I think 80% of trans employees do not see any sort of trans leadership in their organizations. That also comes down to other facts too. We don't have the federal non-discriminatory protections for transgender folks. Only, I think, maybe 10 states have that protection in place. So technically, I could be fired today for being who I am in the state of North Carolina. How scary is that? It it is mind-wracking. I don't necessarily devote a whole lot of brain power to that. It's not beneficial to myself and where I want to be. I don't want to be a role model, but I would like to open the door to more people. And that's one of the things that I do when I mention Cisco, why it's one of the great places to work. Some of our programs I've never heard of before. Having employee relations, taking teams and having talks and trainings when somebody wants to come out as transgendered. Companies do you know that has a program like that? None that I know of is absolutely amazing. The support we get here with our medical insurance, it's amazing. And I've made jokes about this in the past that Cisco has paid for my face, which it has as part of our insurance. I have had feminine facial feminization surgery and having had paid for gender reconstructive surgery myself out of pocket, knowing that's covered here at Cisco, it's amazing. If I would have waited, I would have saved $22,000, but that was money well spent. I'm hearing from you, Tracy, too, which is so interesting, is when you talk about support, right, you've talked about support several times in this call, and there's personal support, right? So there's that one-on-one, that's family, that's community, that's, you know, showing up in a way that's very personal. There's policy, right? So there's political support and policy support. And Tracy, I think a lot of people who are listening would still be surprised to hear that. In my home state of Michigan, it was only about three months ago that we passed the expanded Elliot Larson Act, which extended our non-discrimination to LGBT folks on basis of gender, gender expression, gender identity, and sexual orientation. That only happened three weeks ago. And to your point, most of the states in the union still don't have that. So there's Cisco policy, which is amazing, as you pointed out, and friends, allies. <laughs> when we talk about support, That is why this fight is your fight as well, 
because it is personal. It is supporting the trans folks in your life. It's also fighting it back against legislation that harms trans folks. And it's making sure that is working into where you work. If you don't have these great things that Cisco has and you don't have those things, is being that person to help bridge that gap and bring those issues up and support in that way too. So personal, political, systemic, we talk about all the ways in which we support. That's great. So Tracy, I'm looking at our time here and I'm going to switch over to our last part, which is a little bit of a rapid fire questionnaire, so to speak, at the end. Are you ready for some rapid fire? Bring it on. Bring it. I knew you would be, friend. I knew you would be. All right. First question. So who's at your kitchen table? This is a term we heard from, I think, Michelle Obama when she came and she talked about who do you share with, process with, fry with, figure stuff out with? Who are those people for you? Those people for me are going to include people and some non-people, unfortunately. I do have four cats who like to include themselves at the kitchen table. So they are there along with my two sons, Christopher and Charlie, and my girlfriend, Amanda. We're all there sharing stories of the day. And of course, we did the typical TV family thing. Well, how was your day? My day was this. And as we sit down and consume dinner. Beautiful, beautiful. What does inclusion look and sound like to you? Inclusion to me is just very simple things, such as normalizing asking for pronouns. To me, that's amazing. And accepting that, bringing it to places like WebEx, Workday, email signatures, letting people know that this is who I am. Some of us may have heard this in the past if you have an androgynous sounding name and they haven't met you and they already have an assumption of whether you're a boy or a girl. And of course, you meet, you have that first connection and it's like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting X or Y. Yeah. All right. So pronouns, very important, a big part of respect. Let's talk about hope. This idea that we believe hope is a superpower. It's part of how we move and shift things and how we get proximate. What does hope mean for you? Hope for me looks like having a day where I don't open up my MSM homepage and I'm not inundated with 15 new laws that are coming on the books affecting our transgender youth, bathroom access. That's what hope to me is. Love that. Yes. I share that with you. What would you like to leave our audience with today? It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Is there any one thing that I haven't asked you about or that you feel like it's important for folks who are out there trying to get proximate to know? What's important for them to know is most people in general, they don't have a trans person in their life that they know of. You never know other people's internal struggles. If someone wants to come out to you as a friend or an ally, listen to them. Let them tell their story and ask them what you can do to help enable them. They're going to need your help to amplify their voice because there's not always going to be the most supportive communities out there for them. Well said, my friend. Y'all, it comes back to stories. And Tracy, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us, getting proximate with me today. I hope this is one of many times. Y'all, if you're listening and you're at Cisco or anywhere you work, use this as a reminder to check out your inclusive communities or your employee resource groups and start hearing the stories of folks who have different lived experiences from you and see what kind of insights that you could come away with and see how that widens your lens. Well, thank you again. And friends, we will see the rest of you on our next podcast. Be sure to give Tracy some love with some listens here and we'll see you next time. Now go get proximate, y'all. Go get proximate. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast powered by Cisco. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.